Friends, friends of Georgette and interested others. Hello, hello. Uh, another beautiful day here at All Things Georgette. How is it with you gals? When Georgette's with you, it's always beautiful. Always, always a good time when you're you're putting your mind in the Georgette world. I like that. I love those responses. Thank you. And and welcome to All Things Georgette, our secret society that is open to the public. And uh, today we dip into yet another tete-a-tete about our gal, Georgette Heyer, and all things related to her. And once again, I am your consummate hostess, Marsha. And once again, I am joined by my sisters under the skin, Sandy and Sharon. And as always, we hope to have the honor of your lords and ladyships, fellow fans of GH, who may or may not be listening in. Um, Okay, today, uh, I'd like to start with an an all-important and wide-open question for you gals. To wit, what is your all-time favorite of George Ed Hire's books? I know it's a tough one. And a related but separate question. Is there simply a favorite scene from one of the novels that jumps to mind? And I will say before we jump into that, a note to the uninitiated, aka those of you who have not read the books. While we will try not to spoil the the endings, we might occasionally kind of wander up close to that line. So be prepared to yank off your headphones, stick your fingers in your ears, or otherwise deafen yourself if it sounds like we're going to ruin things for you. But to return, what do you think, gals? Do you have a favorite? Let's see. I I have several favorites. You know, the thing is, is that there are certain things I that are favorite about different novels. Like, probably overall favorite character might be um, the Grand Sophie uh, of, mm-hmm. of the heroine. Um, favorite scenes. I don't know. I, I would say the... Um, the convenient marriage is one of my favorites because um, it has our stuttering heroine Horatia, who's called Hori, and and her ridiculous brother, and I can't think of his name, but Dysart, Dysart, and he is, he, <laughs> and, and he's hilarious, and the and and the ridiculousness of him is one like that is one <laughs> book where I get to this one scene where she has been abducted by the bad fellow and the brother comes in completely drunk with his friend and because the door has been <laughs> left excuse, open to the street. Excuse me, Sandy, disguised. Disguised, yes. Foxed. I would say I would say beyond disguised, foxed, if not more. <laughs> but um and and both the brother and his friend who have wandered into this abduction scene are drunk and are not catching on to what's going on and she's doing her best to, or as she ha- actually has done her best to get out of the situation with, with a bit of uh, violence with the, with the poker from the fire. And um, <laughs> it's just, it, it, you know, no matter how many times I've read it, it makes me laugh out loud. So that's, that's one of the things I love. Great. I love that. And, th- and that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm with a favorite scene, but Cher, do you have a favorite book? Oh man. It's so hard to say. Um, if we're talking favorite scenes, they they often come do come at the end of the book because Georgette has this this way of 
of pulling all the skeins of the various stories and subplots and main plot together in, in these ridiculous last scenes where everybody gets together or at least is represented and, and, they they resolve all of these different things and i the grand sophie is one of them friday's child is one of them that they just everybody comes together and creates this utterly absurd situation um that fixes everything and i really enjoy those those um scenes i i think maybe one of if i just absolutely had to choose which is really hard for me i i Love the scene in uh, Devil's Cub where Mary Challoner shoots the evil Viscount. That's a great scene in the carriage. But maybe mm. the very best one is in Pharaoh's Daughter where Deb Grantham has uh, Max Ravenscar, the very wealthy um, and uh, bent on her destruction hero, has shown up at the gaming house and she has had him kidnapped to the basement by her. her <laughs> That's a great scene. Yeah. Her boxer uh, guy who, who doubles as a butler, but is really just a boxer. And he's tied up in the basement and she can't stand it. She has to go downstairs to see what he's done. And, um, and he, of course, is completely self-possessed and she gets mad at him and flounces off. And then he asks her to leave up. A candle before she goes because there are rats and she's horrified that she's left him with rats so she leaves him a candle <laughs> and and then she comes back and he's he, he's his hands are unbound because he's used the candle to set the rope on fire around his hands and he's charred his the lace on his cuffs and she gets really mad at him that he, she's that he's been so profligate as to ruin this perfectly good lace and how could he be so foolish and look you you burnt yourself this is terrible and he's sort of laughing at her he's utterly taken aback and laughing at her and then he says well i should leave you in the basement and she says with the rats of course you're not gonna leave me in the basement <laughs> and she takes him off to to uh take care of his burns and it's it's just, it's such a great scene of bouncing back and forth and one's dominant and the other one's down. And, and that's what they do all through that book. And, and uh, that's why that book is so fun to read. Um, Are you talking about Devil's Cub? That you're not going to appreciate until you have some familiarity with the rules governing society. No, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to interrupt here um, because Sharon, you were asking if, Marsh, you were asking if she was talking about Devil, Devil's Cub. She yeah, I just want to clarify. Pharaoh's daughter is that. Okay. That uh, just for our, yeah. The, the lords and ladies who are, who are listening. I did like, look up and the the brother's name that was so drunk in the convenient marriage is Pelham, is his name. Oh, Pelham. Is Pelham. And, um, and I do have to correct your, your um, pronunciation of the word Viscount, Shash. It is actually Viscount. So just just coming in there, even Didn't though we still say higher and it's hair. I love that. Use a discount, which is how it's spelled. But you know, you know how those things go. You know, we should probably take a moment to talk about um, pronunciations because that has actually uh, taken a, quite a bit of our focus. You know, we we were not sure how to say it. If Stephen Fry is right, if it's hair. Um, and we're not sure, uh, but on the other hand, you you made the point, Sandy, last time about how the British pronounce things like um, Don Juin right. and purposely <laughs> uh, anglicize 
these words. So, so I so, would, I would so put we can Americanize under that. <laughs> <laughs> we can Americanize words we're never going to, we're never going to exactly. use in an actual sentence anyway. <laughs> and, and I, and I love that we're correcting each other when we're, and I, personally, I can already say I've been so wrong on so, you know, about so many things, but so, so what my opinion is still, I'm sure valid in this conversation only because I say it is. Um, but I want to contribute my favorite, which is, and sounds like we all agree, the Grand Sophie mm. is is pretty hard to beat. And that final scene, and you're right, Sharon, the, the I love the word schemes, the way that you, you talk about like all the threads of the plot culminating. And this is where I think we see her, her skill as a novelist, because, okay, maybe that's a formulaic uh, approach where you kind of, there's the resolution. But nonetheless, she does it so skillfully, and there is so much delight for the reader in the way those threads come together, and so much originality and humor. And that scene when there are all the baby ducklings wandering around, and spoiler alert, mayhem, and all of the characters, all these delightful characters with all of their conflicting agendas converging in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, at, it's almost you know, like a scene out of, out of a Frank Capra movie. Like you can't take it with you when, when the, exactly. you know, the fireworks are exploding and everybody's running around. Yeah. It's, and who's to say maybe Frank Capra was a Georgia hair fan. You never know. You know, it, we are a secret society <laughs> and he may have been a member. He could have who's, been. Who's to say, who's to say, um, well, yeah. she does have, um, I I did reference Devil's Cub, which I think is maybe an overlooked one of hers. I I really like that one. It's one of my favorites. And the last scene in that one is much the same. Maybe I like maybe I like the ones where the hero and heroine are sort of going on divergent paths and they just keep being pulled back together almost almost against their better judgment. And Pharaoh's Daughter's one, Devil's Cub is another one. Um, but the, the last scene in that book is much the same, where the absurd Uncle Rupert is going on and on about his wine. And and these there are two couples getting married, and the Saturnine Duke has somehow made it all work out. And his, his scatterbrain... Um, wife is is complaining about Rupert's wine and about the lack of tailoring and it's just ridiculous all these different characters and their different um concerns and points of view sort of getting thrown into this blender and and out with wit and froth and interest and keeping true to each individual character she creates this Wonderful, very satisfying ending. It's a and, gift. And that's the tough part. I mean, I don't know if, uh, if you guys ever tried to do this, but writing dialogue that sounds true and that is consistent and that is economical character creation. Um, I, I, would, I would say of contemporary writers, I think Larry McMurtry is one of the best. Oh, he's good. Uh, is one of the best people in this. Uh, very different scenarios, of mm-hmm. course. You know, um, you know instead of um, cotillions and balls, we're talking about pigsties and, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, ranch hands uh, and, and so on. But, but I think that's a real skill. And I think she's very virtuosic 
in her ability to conjure these magical and each of these characters, they're, they're magically interesting to me. Yes. Uh, they make me laugh out loud, as Sandy said. And I, again, I can have read these books over and over again, uh, and, and it will still make me laugh. I'll find new things to delight in, which is not always the case with other novelists. I think really is, at least for me, that's special about her. Well, she's also a, a master or mistress of the of the long game, the long joke oh, yes. that comes oh, out. Oh, yes, mean, and, that's you know, true. And and you you really are. It's I I find it difficult to read out a little bit of Georgette to somebody and say, oh, when they say, "What are you laughing at?" I can I can read that that dialogue that little bit and it's 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 amusing but really it's it's funny because it's the long it's it's been it's building so for true. pages and pages the joke like for example we spoke about it in one of the other podcasts but the um the the um the reference to nemesis in in yeah. um Cha- mm-hmm. Is it Charity Girl or which one? What is the no, no, it's Friday's it's Child. Friday's Child. Friday's Child. Child. Yeah, and it's Bertie Fakenham, right? Bertie Fakenham the, the, and his, you know, his his, you know, complete he's so adorable dim wittedness, but his his learned quality that he's remembered this one character from his school days of Nemesis, but he can't. So he keeps referring to him as that Greek fellow. And everybody's trying to figure out what Greek fellow. I don't know a Greek fellow, you know, and then finally comes at the end and you're one of those fellows who sneaks up behind you when you're, you know, least expecting it and all the rest of it. It's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful joke, but she takes such a long time to tee it up. And it keeps coming back. It mm-hmm. keeps coming yeah. back. It's it's like the rule of three. Like she's really got that rhythm. Mm-hmm. You know, she's really she's really the master of of comic rhythm. Yeah. Um, at both both on the the smaller level of um, the suspense of the of the line of dialogue, and on the larger structural level where she kind of can plant a joke three times and and build up each time to by the end you just feel like. Again, you're in a secret society. You're you're in on the joke. Yeah. Right. Right. And and I like the way well, I think we've all spoken and could speak forever, I think, about her treatment of secondary characters. Um yes, they're romance books. Yes, you know who the hero and heroine are right off the bat. Yes, you know they're going to get together at the end of the book. But you have no idea about who else is going to populate the world that they're in and how it's all going to happen. And it's always fresh. It's always interesting, but she's also very good at pulling out the unexpected person. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Ferdy Fakenham is one. He's a, he's a friend of the, of the hero, but he's, he's a product of overbreeding. <laughs> he's an idiot <laughs> and he's nice, but he's an idiot. And um, there are many of those. But yeah. She, you but then she takes it one further with a character like Lord Dolphington. Yes, in, exactly. Um, exactly. Exactly. And Lord I Dolphington by the way, I just finished listening to it. We're going in another direction, Serbonomy Ripple. Yes, yeah. and, the, oh, and, the, and the names. I, I mean, him. the names. This oh, yeah. is a name for a hugely fat, charming, charming, humorous fellow. And you know, Serbonomy Ripple. I mean, it just you can't get better than that. But Lord Dolphington is, in fact, mentally weak. He, he is, is, in fact, he is not all there mm-hmm. to the extent that his evil mother um, dangles a sort of Damocles over his head, saying she will. Uh, 
institutionalize him yes. if he does not obey her, which is if kind of a very obey her. grim, dark kind of shadow. It is, um, and it's, yeah, it's a reflection. Book. Just as we were talking about with with poor Maria and the and the poor female relatives. Even a male who is, I believe he's an earl, although as they call him, an just an Irish one. That's right. <laughs> they're living so, therefore, on doesn't really the count. Edge. They, they are living at the permission of other people. And there was not a lot of, there was not a lot of tenderness in that world for, for weak people. And she makes that point firmly if somewhat, you know, within this this world of, of froth and delight. But you you read Cotillion and I for me, even beyond the, the primary characters who sticks in my mind is Lord Dolphington and his it's ultimate true. paramour. He's just a a Hannah you wanna you wanna cuddle up to and you know take care and of take care of it. And here's another example of I couldn't agree more, Cher. And Hannah Plimstock. I just finished listening to yes, Cotillion, by yes, the way. Yes, yes. And Hannah Plimstock, who is his, finally his redeemer. Yeah. Um, he, you know, and, as he says, she has the kind of face I like. That's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's she, plain. She's but plain. But she's not and threatening she's, and she's kind. And she's the sister of a sit. Mm-hmm. And she's frank and she's intelligent and when Kitty Charing has that conversation, um, you know, Kitty cares cares very much for Dolphington, who is her cousin, and um, has discovered that he has this secret romance, amazingly, under his mother's, you know, um, uh, it's amazing that nose. he's pulled it off under yeah. her nose. But he, he shares this information. She insists on meeting this woman. And this woman um, really impresses her with her plain talk. And she says, you're wondering if I'm in love with, um, with what? Dolph. With Dolph. Dolph. But, uh, yeah. Or she calls him Foster. Foster. Right? Yeah, right. That's and, exactly and, uh, and she says, no, who could? You know? But um, I care very deeply for him and I will take care of him. And I would like to be a duchess. Or whatever, or count or whatever the earl's whatever wife it is. is. Uh-uh. Countess. <laughs> um, and I would like to take care of him, and I would like to get him out from under his evil mother's thumb. And he loves horses, and I want to take him to Ireland so that he can live on a farm and take care of horses. Mm-hmm. And that is such it's such a tidy little speech, and she's so determined. And the two women that becomes one of the projects of the novel, right? right. That, as exactly. Sharon pointed out, is 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 in one of that. The, Yet another of these denouements is threaded together at the end of the right. novel. But it's a project that builds throughout the novel. And you're really on her side. You only get to know Hannah Plimstock through two or three short scenes. But she's so fully realized. I can practically see her. She's a dumpy, plain, no-nonsense woman with a heart of gold. Who is very firm in her convictions and who will indeed push back against Dolphin, Dolph's mother and will indeed be a fine countess, will take care of Dolph's lands, will bring him some exactly. level of prosperity, and will make him stop being so terrified. Exactly. And, and that's what comes every once in a while. There is a mention in there of, oh, you know, isn't he Lord so-and-so's second son? Oh, yes, but the first one they, they put up in an attic or they, they sent to a special place. I mean, life was not good for people who were 
who Damn. were weak not and vulnerable. Yeah. And, and yeah. also for women who were not married and didn't have money. Um, well, it, there were not very many options. And poor Dolph, there's a scene in which he's they're talking about what what he should do. And he sits there hopelessly sucking on the end of his walking stick. That's right. <laughs> it's such, <laughs> what it's a great such detail a, that is. image of pathos. Yeah. And, he, he also and dives he under the table when he's that. afraid. That's right. He dives, he dives under, under the, the table. table. Yeah, yeah. Another, uh, so I, I was thinking along the lines of another long, long buildup of a of a humorous situation. Sandy, uh, I'm just going to interrupt for yes. one second because mm-hmm. I have one more thing to say about Lord Dolphington, mm-hmm. whom we all love, and that is Sharon. To Sharon's point about how women, um, it's really only through marriage that they can truly be redeemed. It's very interesting that someone who is equally vulnerable, like Lord Dolphington, um, is also redeemed only through marriage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. It's one of the few instances where there's the flip of the coin and we see the other side where a man is, is really reliant on the kind offices and good marriage with a good woman. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Sorry, Sandy, but she's she's back okay. to you. That's okay. And I was not, and, and Kitty is sort of horrified that, that he's this titled cousin is going to marry this plain older sister of a sit. But no, then, no, Kitty's he has delighted. Very with her. brief scenes with her, and understands that that's exactly what what Dolphington needs. Exactly, to she's initially life. she's initially kind of taken aback, but very right. quickly, very quickly, she is on their team, and she says so in her first meeting with Hannah. By the time she's finished hearing her out, she says, "I will help you." But but characters like that to me show that Georgette Hare had more of a universal vision of the of the good and the ill in that world um obviously she had to focus on the good because that's what people wanted to read about but well but, but like like dickens other she has these wonderful characters like dickens did and that's what i was going to talk about with the the foundling for example where you have this long setup of this fantastic um charming macabre like villain liver sedge <laughs> who is oh, you know liver sedge is just priceless starts at a as a as a ramshackle <laughs> servant and ends up as a you know and then and then you know is is the the terrible villain who's you know the our hero comes this close to being killed by one of his minions and then and then he ends up as the guy's butler at the end and um but before before being paid off to go to Europe and and start a gaming house, but he's just he's just irresistible every time he's on the page. Um, he really is. He and, really is. And the the humor of the situation where where you know he's the he's the villain, but in the in the very end he's he's central to everyone's comfort in this butler role with other with most of the people being completely oblivious as to the fact that he's the one that's caused all of the trouble. Um, it's just, mm. it's just mm. wonderful. It's just mm. wonderful. And, mm. and of course, you know, our, our little Duke, as we call him in the foundling that, you know, that he is the, the, uh, the, the fellow that, that has such an appreciation. I think that's one of the things I love about Georgette is, is um, sharing time in the mind of the person that she always has someone um at least one person in the novel who is appreciating all of the 
all of the the, the, mm. the human tragedy and comedy that's going on, and um, and to share that person's point of view. And the little duke, of course, is one of the people who who comes to appreciate Liversage um, for the contribution he that he makes to his life, but is also just his wonderful, rich amusement of the situation, despite the fact that he tried to kill him. Yes, um, right, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Um, I, I think that's a great insight, Sandy, that there's always someone who um, who really acts as, as a kind of, um, um, what's the word I want to say, someone who is representing the reader's point of view, yes. who inhabits the world um, in, in their appreciation. Omniscience. Yes. Omniscience and yes. a certain appreciation. And I'm thinking of that wonderful book, and I'm, I'm not remembering the title, but it's the, it's the one where it's Cherry. The, the the young girl who's sort of a stow or she, she charity girl that's isn't charity it? girl no, that's charity girl no yeah. no, no. is that the one where she's discovered by just randomly she runs away and she's full of lies she does nothing but lie about her name and her identity and he oh, never she never no. does tell him no you're thinking no. of the Corinthians no sprig muslin sprig muslin that's sprig it sprig yeah. muslin and through a long and twisted um, wonderful tale where she basically is a completely hapless child who has put herself into, um, you know, ever-present danger by running away uh, and refusing. She doesn't have a penny, uh, and and is just uh, she's she's wild, and she wants to marry her her army officer who's off, and and she's sixteen, and her grandfather won't let her. Um, but we don't find that out until much later. And meanwhile, this sort of hapless hero. Who has um, offered for the hand of Sir, Sir Gareth Ludlow with his Hester? Thank you, Hester. with his Hester, and he's offered Lady Hester. for Hester, Lady Hester, who is inexplicably she's rather dowdy and 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 not really what people think of as right. as uh, she's but, on the shelf. She's but on the she shelf. has gray eyes. But she has. <laughs> <laughs> It's the gray eyes. He has gray eyes, and anyway, at the at, you know, at first she's inexplicably turned him down. I won't give away too much of the plot, but um, she and the hero, whose name is escaping me at the moment, or the the protagonist, the Sir, male protagonist, Sir Gareth, Sir Gareth. I'm sorry, right, Sir Gareth, who becomes injured in ways that I will not reveal. Um, but she and Sir Gareth sort of they wind up inhabiting with these two children um, a a kind of delightful escape from their humdrum existence, which is full of, you know, minor catastrophes and outrageous things that these children are doing. And, um, you know, and they both, you know, coming from their, their rather starched, uh, context where they have to behave and their behavior is very curtailed by, as Sharon would point out, the rules of the game, right? right. The rules of their culture. This it's an Eden. It represents this marvelous escape, and they both, in their ways, and despite the fact that he's lying in bed injured for most of this time, they they both just delight in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she yeah. she does. She turns him down initially because. He's offering for her because she's an old family acquaintance and it's expected and she loves him and she doesn't but want that's to marry not, him. That's, that's really spoiling it. That's um, a big spoiler. Well, it's, that comes in the it, beginning. It's not, it's not clear why she rejects him. I mean, it's, we we're, we're given to understand, but another I think one like that, another one where, where there's a, there's a time out of time that is absolutely full of hilarious secondary characters is um, Sylvester. 
oh, or the wicked love uncle Sylvester with the, the, with the eyebrows. It, that's another one that's one of my favorites. It's and all about the eyebrows and Sylvester. It's all about the eyebrows, and but they end up Sylvester and um, the two. Is it what Tom and Penelope? Is it Penelope? The the heroine on that one. Um, uh, they they end up stuck in this inn, and it's I don't remember and, the names. And the the I know I know the boy is Tom, and Penelope. It's not Penelope. It's not quite right. But she's trying to run away so that her father can't force her to marry Sylvester. Sylvester, meanwhile, has has ended up at this guy's country house because he can no longer think of a reasonable excuse for not going. And um, he is in the market for a wife, but he wants someone who's very perfect and, you know, very uh, understands what is to be expected of her in the role of Duchess. And he's confronted with this girl who is not terribly attractive and loves to ride horses and um, is very forthright and um Phoebe, and Phoebe. Has, as it turns out has written a gothic novel about oh him. that's right that's right that's right <laughs> i love that's that right. he doesn't She's know written that. something that's absolutely stinging about him isn't yeah. it phoebe phoebe, phoebe is the that's name. it phoebe he doesn't know that while they're at the inn and the first oh easily third maybe half of the book they spend at this inn because they're stuck there and um and the landlady and the half-witted uh, tavern maid and There's another half-wit. There you go. They're just. I'm just looking at our they time. Can all, girls too. Yeah, yeah, they I can know. All we're, just we're, relax. We're to your point, Marcia, they. This is a place where they don't have to be anybody but themselves, and they form this wonderful three-way friendship. And they all share in the jokes, and they all are free to laugh and to talk about things they would never talk about in any other circumstance and then reality intrudes and right. and the story goes from there That's but right. it is true that there are books where you have this little this little oasis where the characters are allowed to kind of bloom and then they take that 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 changed personality back into this rigid world and the the clash there is is what makes the story fascinating and that wonderful duality of eden versus reality or cold harsh uh constrictive world is is actually where we will have to wind up for today but it's so it's it's a wonderful thought it may be where we pick up next time who knows but in the meantime i'd like to bid adieu to all of you uh ratafia swizzling Swiggling, what, what's the word? Sw swilling. Swilling. Of swilling friends of Georgette and uh, to my sisters under the skin. Um, until next time. Sounds until good. next time. Cheers. Cheers all. <laughs>